years of podcast. I made your mistake. You're listening to the Teach Me How podcast, a classic world of darkness role-playing workshop with Nate and Bob. Brought to you by 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade and UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Today, we are going to teach you how to play the Camarilla. And um, we're going to take it from the start, right? We're going to take it right from the beginning. And I don't think we're going to get too deeply into specific positions today because those are going to be their own podcast, right? If we sat here and we talked about just, we started at point A and we talked about everything that Camarilla is, we'd be here for 12 hours, right? Fair. We could do we could do an hour on the sheriff. We could do an hour on the prince. We could do an hour on the primogen. And we will. But <laughs> we're not going to do it all today. But yeah, we're definitely going to talk about very, very similar to what we did with the Sabbat. So think of it to be the layman, the right. average member. Right. Clearly, this isn't going to be every single member of the Camarilla, right? But we want to take it step by step like we did with the Sabbat, right? In other a- words, an average member of the Camarilla. There you go. It's a baseline. Right. right. Um, what is it, what's important about a baseline? You guys can make above the grade, off the res, or under under par but at least it gives you an idea right right and and all of this goes into very basic character creation and very very basic concept creation because vampire the masquerade default is camarilla right Right. it is that is the that's you know you jump in the boat and you go out and fish you're you're this is exactly what you're fishing for you're fishing for baseline camarilla gameplay because that is what vampire the masquerade is Getting into the Sabbat, getting into the different uh, sects, the Inkanu, the Anarchs, etc. That's all kind of like advanced class. This is the start. We want to start with the Holy Grail, though. We have right, to. exactly. The Holy Grail is the traditions. Right. We have to tell you what they are. Most of you, I damn near say all of you know what they are. But you may not understand the relationship to the Camarilla organization as a whole. In fact, all the positions tied to the traditions... Your very entrance into the organization is tied to the traditions, so we do have to at least tell you what they are. Well, let's first start with a very basic question. What is the Camarilla? The Camarilla, you would know them. On podcasts, you definitely, especially if you're up to date, got through the origins of known as the founders, and we're not going to go into that. What we will tell you is that the Camarilla are the elders who basically survived the burning times of the Inquisition came together and decided around a concept known as the masquerade, that that will be how they avoid the mortals hunting them again. This, this keeps them in secret. This keeps them hunting without anyone knowing, and it's the safest method to go about it. Now, the masquerade is just one tradition uh, that they have going on. It's, it's really, it's, it's the entirety of the Camarilla. Now, how that organization works, and we'll do with the fast classes again, we're going to go over positions later on. The founders literally handpick the important titles to go and dictate who joins and who doesn't. And that's really it. From there on, they're shadow men. It's a council that just sits to the back end that, yes, controls the organization, but really, at this point, more influences it because it already runs on its own. And in this social club they've created, um, and I do want to highlight that, it is a social club. Right. It's like-minded canines who agree to the morality and themes of maintaining the masquerade and the traditions. Right. Survival is paramount to the to the existence of a Camarilla. The Camarilla exists to protect your ass. <laughs> and to protect your ass from both threats from without and threats from within. And from within, I mean vampiric threats, you know, other diablerists, other diabolical, uh, agended, having vampires, but also the mortal population. To protect you 
and to protect the stock from which you feed and so that everything exists harmoniously or any facsimile thereof. Right. And so, uh, again, we're skipping a lot of, uh, a lot of positions, but the one we can't skip is mm-hmm. called the prince. Right. Now, what I mean by can't skip, we're going to mention them here, and we'll give you the, the dollar, the, the penny version. Prince rules a territory, always a city. Prince rules a city, will the prince will the city. That's what it's designed to do. He has a council called Primogen underneath him, um, and they exist almost on, they, they do exist on the same tier. The Primogen are to balance out the prince, the prince balances out the Primogen. That is the ideal that the founders set out of the Camarilla. However, very easily does one elder rule all if they are powerful enough and is often the case. Now, that said, there's a Seneschal, there's a Harpy. Um, again, we'll go with these positions in, in length, but we'll explain what a Seneschal does. A, Sene- a Seneschal is basically the person who handles all the prince's request. You know, this is this is someone you can petition to speak to the prince. This is someone who the other hierarchy members will see if the prince is busy at what time. This is someone who, if you see out walking about, you speak to the seneschal, he knows the prince well enough to know that, well, I can answer this question for you. No way is he going to go for it. Or this is important enough for the prince to hear. Right. You know, this is someone who basically governs. Right. Right. The prince doesn't govern. The prince is the judge, jury, and executioner in one. The Seneschal is the one who's the political figure. Right. And, and I think that's important. It's imperative for most people to know. Most of us listening, and forgive me if uh, if I'm kind of excluding anybody outside of the U.S., but most of us are kind of, we have this familiarity with a, um, a democratic society, a society where my voice matters and I make a vote and that vote counts towards something. And that leader has been elected by the people. This organization is not that. It is very much the the self-appointed based on power, based on age, based on on bloodline, based it's it's much more kings and queens than it is presidents exactly. and 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 the such. I think that the key thing that people need to realize about the Camarilla is that this entire structure exists solely for the benefit of the status quo. Those that are in power remain in power. Those that do not have power do not get it. It is about keeping you small and keeping the elders big. And and that's what you need to remember. As a player, it is not about vying for position and getting an election. It's about appeasing those in power and being in their favor. And what does that mean? All these lovely positions we're getting to there are checks and balances. The Seneschal is a political figurehead that is approachable and talkable because the prince you should fear. Right. Respect, love, or fear, or all three, if he's good and Machiavellian enough. That Seneschal is going to be the one who can kind of guide you through most things and keep you safe from faux pas to say in front of the prince. It's okay to fuck up in front of the Seneschal. That's what they're there for. But the Seneschal is also groomed, often selected by the Primogen Council and groomed to be the next prince if that prince should die. Right. Right. It's not getting into it. That should scare you. There's a lot more that comes to that position, but that's a good kind of go-to. Now, the Primogen is advisor. That is what it means. Right. And there's a whole council of them. Their power collectively is what can check the prince, but individually, not at all. Right. And if, if we use, uh, as a for instance, if we use the original setting of Chicago by Night, which is what this game was created on, we can see that we have a prince who is very powerful He's come here and he's taken that position because he's the most influential and the most powerful 
to be able to maintain it. And he cultivated a group of children sort of as a bulwark against the elder primaging council. So it's kind of a battle between the prince and the elder primaging council, right? The primaging council in most circumstances, but not all are going to be elders and they're elders by both power and by age. Because you need both to be able to maintain that. And remember, the Primogen is literally the best representative of that clan in the city. The best member of a clan. He should be the one to advise the prince. Because ideally, that Primogen speaks for a bunch of people who shares blood with him. Right. But you didn't get to elect that, that Primogen. Not at all. <laughs> right? You may not, not even like that Primogen. You may actively hate that Primogen. Sorry. But that's where the misconception comes in. And a lot of it's live action. It's a lot of people. We're friends. We don't right. want to do nothing bad. So, And before we get into all that, but understand, we get the out of game. Right. It's a friendly thing. But we're telling you how it was designed. So from the primogen with the prince and their, their inbiting that undoubtedly goes on, well, who, who keeps them in check? Who reminds them that we're here on the same side? That's the harpy. Mm-hmm. The harpy comes in not to dictate, not to threaten. Uh, sometimes can use that as a tool, but they take their their sharpened wit and silvered tongue and they go about reminding people what this is all about, prestation. Right. And the, the ins and outs of prestation, again, we'll, we'll see, but we're going to do the average member here in a minute. But the ins and outs of prestation state that there's a system of boons. I do, quid pro quo. I do something for you. I owe you. And later on, you can ask me to do something in return, or I can ask you to do something in return. And they're called boons. And this is something the harpy governs mm-hmm. which means they're the harpies in everybody's business right. boons boons are a form and i don't know if you mentioned this pardon me but boons are a form of prestation right because this is a this is a society 100 percent built on favor 100 percent. Right? and that's you the neonate we're going to call our neonate our camarilla neonate we'll call him teddy the torador teddy right? the torador teddy the torador he's just been embraced into this clan and the torador are you know, they have their own problems, and we're not going to get into that clan hustle and bustle. Did mm-hmm. Teddy's sire get permission? Let's say Teddy's sire, Teddy the Torador's sire, is, has been given the right to embrace Teddy. And right? what tradition is that? Well, that is uh, the tradition of progeny, right? So, so he's been permitted. The prince, whomever the prince may be, he's allowed Teddy the Torador's sire to embrace Teddy. Right, so tonight Teddy receives him his embrace, and Teddy the Torador sire is going to have to start teaching some lessons. And we talk about the traditions. So let's what what are these traditions? I'm Teddy the Torador. I don't know. I have a clue. Oh shit! I I am hungry. I always want to eat. All right, I I've fed. Now, dear sire, teach me. Teach me the ways of your Camarilla. What are the traditions? Let's start with the first one. And some would say arguably the most important to the Camarilla, the masquerade. What does that mean, Bob? What does that even... The masquerade states that we should vampires should be hidden from existence, period, mm-hmm. from all mortals' eyes. In other words, you won't draw attention to vampires with your actions, period. In practice, what does this mean? It means that if I go out and I feed, because a vampire can lick a wound from the things they do and it goes away. The body heals. The entrance and where they fed from. That's If you didn't know that, congratulations. It is in the book, though. Mm-hmm. Now... If you don't do that and you leave the puncture marks and the police find them, they got a weird unsolved case. Right. Someone died from exsanguination or maybe you thought it far enough had to break their neck. Right. But then the coroner sees the holes and whatever. They don't know what to do. Not like they go, you're the one who did it. They don't have anything else. That just goes in the morgue. We don't know why that person died. However, the prince is sitting back and gets a call. 
and there's a weird cold case. And, you know, his Seneschal may, if they have that relationship, the Seneschal may have got it first because mm-hmm. they share the domain in that regard. In other words, everyone in the hierarchy has ears and eyes everywhere. Right. So the Seneschal hears info, goes to tell the prince like it's new. Right. And the prince is like, of course I already knew this. And of course he did because his retainer turned around and went cold case. Right. Weird. Um, broken neck, but the puncture marks. Someone's broke the masquerade. And you may be thinking, fuck you. No one. How did you know a vampire did it? A, a snake could have done it. It could have been something. The point is, the paranoid power of the elders must be protected. The status quo. Right. You done fucked up. Right. Because if you're a prince and you start getting lazy on that stuff, what's going to happen? Right. If I can get away with it, 10 other people can get away with it. Right. If Teddy the Torador, first night of his embrace, runs out down, down Main Street and starts, you know, just taking blood from whoever, he's sloppy, blood's everywhere, terrible wound. Well, if Teddy the Torador and his sire can get away with it, well, then Steve the Tremere can get away with it and his sire can get away with it. And before you know it, you've got fucking problems. And more importantly, I'm a weak prince. Right, right. And and shit rolls downhill. Right. I got to answer to somebody. So let's let's safely assume everybody understands that's played this game what the masquerade is, right? It it's one of the easiest laws to follow. Now mind you, this this whole this whole government only has six laws. Only These are six. so easy to follow. We only have six laws, right? Well, the first one's a masquerade, right? And it's not up to your interpretation. It's up to the prince's interpretation. Exactly. That's what you need to be clear on is that you, the player, you, the individual, you, the vampire, it's not your interpretation unless you have the standing to say it is. So let's see how we could have gotten on that scenario, mm-hmm. right? Let's mm-hmm. say I, I go, I feed for whatever reason. I forgot to lick the wound. I get home. Shit. Right. That's in there. I now have to call in prestation. Right. If I don't have the means to get into the police station, get access to alter files and do anything, I need to get someone who does. At the very least, I got to put my head, if I don't have anything, right. I got to put my head in the noose and call the sheriff. Right. I, and I hope they're the first to hear of it. In other words, they're hearing it first time from me fresh. It's the best chance the sheriff doesn't stake me. Right. I fucked up, set the corner. I drained him and shit. I, I remembered I didn't. It's a mistake. And the sheriff can go. It happens. Right. Um, you owe me. Right. Absolutely. Your life. It's a life boon. You owe me, but you get a pass. And that's provided you're somebody who has the clout to owe a life boon. Right. But if I'm Teddy the Torador, nah, my sire has to pay that. Why? Teddy doesn't have anything. Right. Right. So it's going to, um, we're going to tell the sire. Right. Because that's another tradition. Right. Absolutely. But, and we'll get to that. But the point is, is that that's how sticky it can get. Right. Right. But that can cover it up as a, as a favor or chop the fucking head off and take it with you. As horrible as it is, <laughs> right, right? you know, if I'm feeding whatever and for whatever reason, it's like shit, there are holes and whatever, and I don't remember to whatever, maybe make it a policy to get rid of the oven. Do something that makes it seem like either a psycho or this is a drive-by right. or whatever you got to do to see why. The, the key is it's the with the masquerade, with that per- particular tradition, it's not just the act of overtly showing a mortal that you're a vampire, but it's potentially alerting mortal society to the existence of vampires, right? That is where you have violated that tradition, that that masquerade. We hide among, right? when I say we, I mean vampires, the kindred hide among the, the, the stock. They hide among the kind. The, the easier rule of thumb 
Um, a lot of mage players out there get coincidental ma- coincidental magic. You don't want it to be a paradox. Right. But if you can give reality a convenient excuse as to why that could have happened, no paradox. Right. right. Or it, lessens it's, the blood. It's like the Occam's razor of yep. of vampiric existence. So anyways, we, we have a firm understanding of what the masquerade is so far. So Teddy, Teddy understands, but Teddy says, well, wh- who enforces that? And what makes this prince even, uh, uh, like who, who agreed upon that? We get to the second tr- tradition, the tradition of domain, right? The tradition of domain gives this elder, the prince, the right to police what he considers his domain. And the reason why it's considered his domain is because he can keep it right. He's, and he's also the prince, right? So the. There's many things that a prince has to do to become prince. Nothing more important, though, is to declare praxis. That's his right to rule. He seizes the right to rule, and then it establishes that it's his. And the camera acknowledges that he can hold it, Mm -hmm. because he took it and he has it, and he's enough of a force to at least war with everybody else while he has it. And then, seizing that right, it's acknowledged by the Jessicars, and boom, you're the prince. Now, that means you get the domain that the former prince had. That's how this organization works. If there was a, if Genghis Khan were were a vampiric prince, and you took took down the Khanate, and you're now declaring practice over him, you get all that the Khan had. That's your new domain, and a lot of enemies to go with. Just to put that in a grand perspective. However, if someone, and this is possible, declares that you know, Peekaboo, Kansas, population you know three hundred, right? They, he's the domain of that, and he's the prince. Well, it's not not so much. Right. You still get it, but, you know, right. size, right. whatever. It's just showing you that this this organization thrives, and it's regardless of the population density. Right. And, it, and right. It, it's it, a lot of these these traditions, they work as a double-edged sword. Domain is one of them, right? I'm the prince. I claim domain over the city. Those who dwell within the city are mine to rule, and da 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 We get that. But I'm an elder. I claim domain over my haven. And the prince can go... Ah, it's not worth the fight. You can have it. It's yours. But also the prince can go, oh, look, something fucked up happened there. Now I have a, a key to use against you. And so here's, here's the trick with that, too. If if everything the prince has is his domain and you're an elder inside the prince's domain, the prince grants you domain of something, even if it's your haven. It's still the prince's domain. Mm-hmm. He acknowledges that you're taking domain over and he says, yeah, you can govern it. Right. You could use it. You could dis. you, you do well with it. However, what's mine is mine. Right. You never forget. As long as your loyalty falls to me, I will admit. And uh, what's the term I'm looking for? I will allow right. and, you and, to have no man. I look at this in a in a very similar way, like as a pre-Christian religion perspective, right? Before Christianity, might is what ruled, right? Yep. I have what I have because I'm strong enough to hold it. And this society is very much the same way. And domain is the most obvious version of that, right? It's my domain because I am strong enough to hold it. And we talked about a primogen council, that primogen council too. If in unison they decided that they wanted to oust you, their powers combined, Captain Planet would write the fuck out of the domain. Politically. Right. They better make sure you're dead. Right. Absolutely. Because, oh, wait a minute, we're a political organization. We sure are. Right. And if that primitive council can't kill the prince, you just ward in the Camarilla. Right. Because a Justicar is the only one in title that has the right to come over and remove you officially. Right. To make it to where there's no war. Right. Because they're going to kill that prince. There was no such thing right. as a prince who's failed at being a prince, is removed from governancy, and gets to live. Right. It's, no. 
I mean, we, we can we can look at the the game and we can see examples of this happening, and one we've already talked about, Chicago by night, right? Uh, Maxwell ruled Chicago, and uh, um, Dickhead Loden and Dickhead Brimage and Kyle, Dickhead people that supported him, they came in and they ousted Maxwell. Well, Maxwell didn't die; they didn't kill Maxwell. That was their fault. Right. Someday Loden died. Maxwell's come back to the city. But more importantly, Maxwell didn't have the clout, or he just chose not to. Right. Go tell the justice. Because here's a double-edged sword. I'm Maxwell. I've been outed. I've been forced off my rock. And I'm now sitting in exile. I'm Autarchus mm-hmm. by title. I could go to the Justicar, but that Justicar is a vampire and believes in prestation. Right. And I go tell the Archons of what occurred and this load and blah, blah, blah. I'm actually telling the Justicar to assess me as a ruler who's failed. Right. And Loden who took it from me and is able to maintain a sense of peace in that city. Right. Who do you think they're going to go with? Well, and that, that's the key here. What we're looking at is very much the strong survive, the weak inherit nothing, right? And so that is a weird ego uh, sort of maneuver by Maxwell going, if I go to the Justicar, I'm admitting weakness. I'm admitting that I need their help. I'm admitting that I failed and that I need them to bail me out. And I have to hope the Justicar, who's also built and bred on this only the strong sort of shall survive mentality, I have to hope that that Justicar doesn't take me, place me firmly in his pocket, exactly. and implant me so that he has something to gain out of it. Whereas instead, I could just go, well, that was my fuck up. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, and I'll figure it. it out. Right. I'll re strategize. I'll, I'll determine it later down the road. So let's not get too mired in this because in the coming nights, Teddy, you'll learn all about domain, where you should and shouldn't step. For now, Teddy, note that as your sire, this is my domain, and you were permitted in these halls. You have nothing right now. Right. And you, but, you have nothing because you're my progeny. Right. But my, as my progeny, I will care for you. Right. And that is the point of the process. Right. Absolutely. So we talk about progeny. The, the prince, the ruler, has the right to allow you progeny allow you the right to create progeny right because the basic rule is we don't embrace we don't we don't pass our curse on to anyone right and uh other games in the future quote unquote future they'll have a more uh a more overt perspective on this but essentially the way that the Camarilla views it is that it is the right of the prince to grant the right of progeny to those that dwell in his domain because you're the governor right right it's your domain how many vampires can your domain uh, hold right. safely and maintain the masquerade? That's the prince's main concern. Right. Um, most princes ignore it, right? They'll, because they use that right of progeny. Right. That's that's a good tool. It's a great reward. Yeah, absolutely. You've done something fantastic. You've done something to please me. You helped to hunt down that blood-hunted individual. And so now I grant you the right of progeny, right? We need someone strategically in the Ventru clan. So... I, Prince Loden, am going to grant Teddy's sire the right of progeny, right? Okay, it's fucking basic, simple shit. We know that. So, But what does progeny give me? It says that I have the right to make another immortal. Awesome. Right. Also says it's my duty to teach them the ins and outs of the Camarilla, and most importantly, the traditions. Right. I have to take this neonate, and that is the title of a newly embraced vampire who is learning under his sire. You're just, or excuse me, not, excuse me, you're a fledgling. I apologize. Neonate's the next one. A fledgling means you know nothing. Right. There is a sire that we could talk to him. And often, how does this play out in the Camarilla? Well, 
it could take years for right. me to officially be done with my service to sire, so to speak, before I'm on my own. In that time, I take him around. I go. Re- I, I take my chill. I take Teddy to be seen at Elysium. I take mm-hmm. Teddy definitely to see the prince the next night of hospitality and to present him to everybody else. Right. To let them know this is my progeny. This is what he does. I, as Teddy, don't say a fucking thing, not a <laughs> goddamn word, unless I'm given leave to. Right. And, and the reason for that is because of our next tradition, accounting. Right. As Teddy's sire, I'm accountable for everything Teddy does. Everything. Right? And, and this tradition goes all the way back to the very beginning, where the crimes you commit are the crimes your sire commits. Right. And so in modern days, it's less overt than that. Once you're released, quote unquote, released from your sire's accounting, a wise prince may not kill your sire for something you've done. However, an old, archaic, like dated prince who's very Machiavellian and in his machinations, you may insult him and he may want to kill your sire, sire, right? And, and to, be, to be truthful, all the elders are looking at me as a prince. Right. If Teddy, and it's, in other words, it's based on what Teddy did. If Teddy up and cut off the head of a favored ghoul in Elysium and he's just a fledgling, mm-hmm. yeah, accounting's in effect. I, as the prince, need to assess my, my primogen, my elders, everyone in the city's looking to see if I can enforce my rule. Right. Do I let this stand? Well, what happens? Odds are I might work out who exactly Teddy Sire now owes for the loss of that, that ghoul. Right. Let's say it wasn't a ghoul. Let's say it was an acknowledged neonate. Someone higher in the chain than Teddy, maybe not in power level, but just got released. The Nine Hospitality, he's an official member, free of accounting finally from his sire, standing on his own two feet, but went to go Teddy, and he didn't know Teddy was a golden badass from around the way that the Tordor embraced because of his fighting prowess. And Teddy loses his shit, and on right. Elysium kills that neonate. If, if I were that prince, if I am Loden, actually, Loden's going to kill Teddy's sire. He's going to kill Teddy Sire. He's going to kill Teddy. And then that primogen's going to owe. Right. Because that's smart. Right. Because cause what happens? I have to set the example, and I have to make sure I'm recouped from my loss because I, the prince, said right. it was okay to have him embraced. You, you draw my name into this right. when this all goes bad. You have to look at it that way. And, and real quick, let's draw like a, a real-world conclusion to this. Um, for those of you who might be new to this game, I've noticed this. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, a lot of people that, that listen to our reviews, they may not be super knowledgeable about Vampire, but like they've played Bloodlines, right? Right. And Bloodlines gives you an example at the very beginning of the game, right? You have an individual who violated the right of progeny, who, who violated that tradition, and then you have a prince who, in a delicate way, sort of handled that situation, right? He said, you, the sire, you violated my traditions, and for that, I'm killing you. But then he showed his city that he can be merciful by letting that neonate live. And that's an important thing that everyone needs to realize, is that this is a game, when we talk about it at its very basic foundations, right? We're at the traditions, and this is all about subtlety. It's about how the prince rules his city, about how the elders and the the neonates and everyone else that resides in his court interprets how he rules, right? It's all this crazy, super detailed and involved social club. And that's the thing that you need to remember, right? All of these things exist to maintain the status quo. All of it. Keep the elders happy. Keep the prince in power. 
keep everybody else questioning. On that note, I've heard it said, oh man, Storyteller just feels like they're out to fuck you every time. Like I can't get ahead. The system's designed for you not to get ahead. Right. It is designed for you to stay right where the fuck you right. are. When you get ahead, not only are you getting prestige status and maybe even a title, you've also bested everyone around you and you're worrying the elders. Right. And you've literally made enemies out of everyone else who didn't get ahead. They both envy you and they hate you. How many centuries do you think someone sat in the role of Harpy? Right. And and you come along, oh, I want that position. And so a little this, little that, and suddenly there's drama and Harpy can't handle Harpy gets punished. Harpy loses title, right? but you gained. Do you think you made a friend out of that Harpy and their supporters? You just clipped decades of favor right. that people have cultivated that maybe they keep, maybe they don't, but that's up to the prince at that point, and the prince may be cleaning house. Right. That Harpy gone, I now can wipe away debt that was owed. And before, before we talk about hospitality, which is the next tradition, I think it's important to note that. Like, this game is essentially, I've, I've always considered it like, like um, watching the, like the plates of the earth move. You know, like how the how the continents slowly spread apart. Tectonic plates, yeah, yeah, yeah. The tectonic plates, the Teutonic plate, Teutonic Knights. Tech Teutonic, yeah. You know what we're talking about the plates. You know that the continents are on the continental drift, right? Yep. To me, that's what this game is like. It's like watching icebergs move, right? Every night, maybe you get a little, you get a couple inches forward, you get a couple of inches back, right? And and at its heart, that's what this game is. It's a game of politics where you're constantly struggling just to keep your head above water. It's nightly survival where you're trying not to drown, right? So when when you as a player, you go, man, my storyteller's out to fuck me. Every time I turn around, there's an elder with his hand in my pocket. There's this Ancilla who's trying to get this out of me. Someone's screaming at me about some domain violation. Right. It is, it is designed for you to never get ahead, right? Your experience is moving in that political arena. That's if you're playing this game politically, right? I mean, that's that's the truth. This game is designed to be a political intrigue game. It's designed at its heart to be this because it is a status quo structure. But there's other versions for you to play, right? If right. this doesn't appeal to you, don't feel like, ah, this game, I can never play this game. But let's let's appeal to the, those who are playing and want to learn. Right, about absolutely. Because um, the truth is, is that going over positions, we have to rehash some of that talk anyway. Yeah, right, for sure. Um, so Teddy's gone through, Progeny's gone through accounting. He realizes the responsibility he has, and the sire realizes the responsibility that he has. Mm-hmm. So what's the next step that Teddy has to step down to? Well, I like to look at it like this, right? Teddy's been released. Teddy needs to be acknowledged by the hierarchy it needs to be acknowledged by the prince the prince has to go yes i now allow you to stay within my domain or teddy might go hey you know what i've been released from my sire i'm gonna i'm gonna hitchhike my Is way he released yet though are we done with the traditions mm, i don't know what what's next you tell me <laughs> so destruction well oh yeah yeah for sure it's i was i was using a guide right well go for it <laughs> well so so destruction absolutely right let's say teddy fucks up let's say teddy does something and we talked about this earlier teddy decapitates that ghoul or kills that neonate um hospitality would be would be next in the in the in the long line but we'll we'll stick with destruction so, i'll let that out wow wow right okay well, we'll, yeah run with it yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> that's like are we in the right order okay yeah, so yeah. so, so at the end of the night, right, we talk about the prince having the right, you know, giving the right to, to embrace, determine, you know, the sire being held accountable. Well, Teddy fucked up, right? Poor Teddy. 
he he lost his mind and he was a champion fencer and he grabbed that sword <laughs> off the wall at the museum and he chopped off that Bruja's head because he was tired of that Bruja talking smack. Well, you screwed up. And now the prince has to make the distinction. Do I let this pass? You fucked up, Teddy. Right. Or do I do you I fucked up? Do I end Teddy and do I end Teddy Sire? Or do I just end Teddy Sire? Or what do I do? You have fucked up. Teddy is now in the hands of the prince who has the right of destruction, right? It's his right solely. Not only can you not create without permission, you can't destroy without permission. So let's be devilish for a minute. Yeah. We told we're telling Teddy the down and dirty right. of what the tradition is, right? This is this is our layman's interpretation. Right. Read what the tradition states. Start with masquerade. The sixth tradition. Oh, I'm sorry. Start right. with masquerade. The first tradition, the masquerade. The masquerade is at the heart of the Camarilla's very existence. The fact that vampires are real must be hidden from mortal eyes. Violations of this tradition are usually punishable by death, if not worse. What the fuck is worse than death? We'll get to that. Right. Uh, every Camarilla vampire is supposed to be on watch for violations of the masquerade and to stop any breach he might come across. So not only is it your responsibility to maintain that masquerade, but it's your responsibility to stop it if you see it. Do your part, Teddy. Right. Do your part. Without you, Teddy, all of us are doomed. Embrace the masquerade. But don't embrace without permission. Right. And <clears> so <throat> uh, just reading that right there, how in-depth it is, uh, the traditions as a whole. Right. Um. When you read them, they tell you what they're about. We're telling you the behind the scenes in between the lines. Right. What comes into it. Why had him read the masquerade? And uh, maybe yeah. at another date we'll read all of them. Right. Here, here's something at the end that's very important, though, that you all must understand. While the other laws of the Camarilla are occasionally subject to looser interpretation, the first tradition remains inviolable. Inviolable. Right. Inviolable. It's not up for interpretation. It is what it is. Yep. And often, this is the number one way a player will be killed. Often, you know, if not other NPCs too. Now, destruction, the important thing about destruction that was mentioned, the prince is the only one who has the right to destroy. But Nate, mm -hmm. in front of you, that has the italicized what actually was written about the law of destruction, right? All right. The first tradition, the masquerade, thou shalt not reveal the true nature to those not of the blood. Doing so shall renounce thy claim of blood, which means what we just said. Exactly. Don't reveal yourself, you won't die. The second tradition, the domain. Thy domain is thy concern, all others owe thee respect while in it. None may challenge thy word in thy domain. And that is important. For everything we talked about, but remember, none may challenge your word in your domain. And that is the catch-22 McGovern when the prince goes, I allow you to have domain in my domain, but it is still mine. Right. The third tradition, the progeny. Thou shalt sire another only with permission of thine elder. If thou createst another without thine elder's leave, both thou and thy progeny shalt be slain. Now, it's important to note, this tradition especially points this out. The Camarilla interprets like the elder, as in the prince, the, 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 those with domain that you are lorded by, under, etc. You got it. Uh, the fourth tradition, the accounting. Thou shalt create, uh, those shall... Those thou create are thine own children. Until thy progeny shall be released, thou shalt command them in all things. Their sins are thine to endure. And this is important. It's not when the sire goes, he's finally done. He is ready to be in your city. You must bring your child in front of the prince. So they transition from progeny, or excuse me, from fledgling 
to that of a neonate. When the prince goes, I do feel after discussing with him in front of the whole court that this is someone who can be in my city. They are officially released at that point. Right. And that brings us to the hospitality. Honor one another's domain. When thou comest to a foreign city, thou shalt present thyself to the one who ruleth there. Without the word of acceptance, thou art nothing. Here's where a lot of people get kind of, this is, this is bullshit. Right. Because let's say Teddy was not a towner. Right. Let's go over that. Teddy would have had to have written something to give a heads up to the prince that he was coming. In other words, get the connections. If you don't have the connections, don't just travel. Right. Because if you just arrive in the city, you're, you're, you're an unknown. Yeah. As an unknown, there are, there's a position called the scourge. Right. Like, and this is one of those weird things that like, you encounter a lot where, uh, depending on the type of game you're playing, this can be a very difficult thing to transition to, right? And depends if, like, let's say you're playing a LARP, right? A LARP is a lot different in, in the sense that when you're playing a tabletop game, it's usually you and your coterie, right? You arrive to a foreign city together, so you've probably worked out with your storyteller, like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to write a letter. We're going to da-da-da-da-da. You would have done that already. When you're in a LARP, it's like, hey, I'm first night of the LARP. How are you? I'm Nate. I'm here to play a character. His name is Torador Ted. And you're like, did you write a letter? And you're like, ah, I didn't know I had to do that. Uh, who do I write it to? Sorry, you fucked up. And in some games, it may be terrible, right? You may find yourself on the sharp end of the sheriff's stake. Some games don't care, right? So that's where it can be a little difficult. Here's what happens, and I'll challenge you. There's a right and wrong here. Mm -hmm. You're trying to establish a feel for the camera organization, which has to adhere to a strict quality of rules. However the prince runs that city, it's going to be reflected upon him by how the traditions are observed. Hospitality is a must. You must have a night of hospitality. You must have something that allows them to come and present themselves to you at your whim. As the prince, you, do, you are not an open all-night diner bound to a table for whoever wants to come order food. But Bob, I am Torador Ted. I've been in the city for five weeks and I haven't been acknowledged. I have no standing in the city. This is bullshit. Yeah, I'm five centuries old. You are nothing to me. So what are, you, what are you saying, Bob? I should just suck it up and deal with it? What I'm saying, if I'm Bob the Prince... Yes, yes, you are Bob the Elder How dare prince. you open your mouth or even look at me, is what that means. Look, man, this, However, is, this is bullshit. I don't, I don't understand why. I'm going to look to my sheriff <laughs> to deal with that now. Right. Why am I being harassed, and who's his clan? Well, that's Teddy the Torador. Oh, Torador Primogen, do you care to comment on... And the Torador Primogen better wash his fucking hands of you on the spot. Mm -hmm. or inherit my wrath. It's that simple. However, Teddy sent me a letter, didn't he? Says the harpy. My lord, we happen to... Right. This is the one This is who... Teddy from the letter. Oh, hmm. Let me see this again. And the seneschal goes, my lord, this is the one who sire didn't even send a gift. It's just... Basically, you have to deal with him, and he's unknown. <laughs> he doesn't have anything. He sure does have five celerity, though, and five melee, and... Mm -hmm. Of course, I wouldn't say that. But I'm just trying to give you <laughs> right, the interpretation. Right. right. Let's 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 hash this down to something that can make a little more sense. Imagine you you've earned right to go to the Queen of England. Right. Do you show up in a hoodie and cut off shorts and flip flops? If I'm uh, if I'm an American sightseer. I sure should do. Because you don't want to get in the fucking building. Right. Right. That's exactly. what's going to happen. Right. And, and that's that's the key here, right? We 
have these concepts as as players. We have these concepts because we're raised in an environment where it's like, man, I do what I want, right? I'm not bound to any like political ideology. Shit, look at our president. Look at the people that ran for it. I don't give a fuck, right? I'm I don't give a fuck, Seaver. That's my last name, <laughs> right. right? But that's the key. We're playing a fantasy game where your fish out of water character, who maybe isn't ready for this, who maybe isn't capable of understanding this right off, is thrust into that position. Right. And your sire chose you because you had a certain purpose. And that's what you need to be aware of when you make your character. Decorum, etiquette, prestige, right. lineage. Right. These things all point to an age old method of right to rule and royal blood. Right. Right. That's where it's pulled from. So you have to understand every domain, even the Louisiana domain prince, expects you to obey the the arrogance that you should have of the prestation of the court that is why it's called the hierarchy court right and and that's that's the point of it so teddy the torador who's standing in front of there who did send a letter beautifully written letter it doesn't hurt to have a gift you don't need to bring a gift at all you don't but then teddy the torador better be able to stand on his own two feet in his wit and politely wait to be acknowledged by whoever and that's the other thing to point out not every court's the same. Right, right. You know, right. it may be the harpy who takes you around and shows you the ropes right. because you're new in town. However, some people may view you as a potential something else. Right. And so you arrived here and sent a letter. That's great. We're going to send the whip to right. stand by you so the prince can know that you're the one to be seen next. Mm-hmm. Sucks to be the whip, but guess what? That's why you're not the primogen. Right. Go stand by him. And the court may be different, but the etiquette is not. Right, that that should never be different. Right, because the Camerill organization is an organization. If the Justicar visits your town, he should have the same feel from every city he goes to. That you are obeying the traditions, that you are obeying the prestation, the whole nine. Now it's a little off the res, but we got to hammer that home because where you fuck up, the most common mistake made of any game of any storyteller is when you decide that any of the traditions can be skipped. Right, they're just not important. Yeah, it's just not relevant. Yeah, not in this size. Because when you do that, only six of them. Because when you do that, you tell the you tell the players it doesn't matter, and now they're wondering what's the difference between the Camarilla and anything else. Because you broke standard, you got to right. maintain a standard. You're free to be creative and adjust them as you want to, but in that creativity, remember to alter and adjust to a standard, right? And that's and that's kind of the point. Right. So to, to just rationalize and bring it all in, we tell Teddy the Torador, "Hey man, those are all the pitfalls." And Teddy right now at this point is going, "Jesus." So the so the prince can do all that. Wow, man! Then what's uh, progeny hospitality? Okay, then then what am I missing? A hospitality. I'm here to get acknowledged. Well, shouldn't he acknowledge me immediately? And that what should happen so I don't get in trouble? No, Teddy. Unfortunately, the prince may take upwards of a uh, two months. Right, right. He may only acknowledge people in a full moon. He may decide to only acknowledge people when he's hungry. In other words, the prince only comes out. When he wishes to feed and having freshly fed, then he's willing to hear who's come to his city. Right. It's his domain. It is up to the prince. And so will the prince, well, then the prince will send me a return letter so I know when to come. No, Teddy, you are not, the prince is not held hostage to give you all the greatest respect in the world at your convenience when you're ready, Teddy. You are there at his behest or her behest. When they deem it is time to hear you, they will. Well, what do I do till then? Well, Teddy, when you get there, you sent a letter. The prince wisely should tell his scourge, often does, you should, storyteller, right. unless you're a shitbag, or that, and not you the storyteller, I mean the prince, unless your prince is written as a villain, and the scourge is a down and dirty piece of whatever, um, 
really, you, you, you judge for your game. Right. But for the standard, the principal at the Scourge know, I have a hospitality letter. You leave this one alone. Let his peers judge him. Right. And, and often it's a tactic of the prince to stall out people who come who we don't know, who don't have any prestigious lineage or any, and he's nobody, no right. standing. Why do I do that? The prince has to protect his domain. He right. has to protect those in his domain. And it's a security check process. If you come to the city, you shouldn't be aware of Elysium. You sent me a letter of acknowledgement. No, I'm not going to tell you where Elysium is. However, but if you had the ability to connect to me, you also have the ability to connect to the Harpy. Right. And it's undoubtedly true that you also told the Harpy I'll be coming to town. The Harpy can tell you, oh, yeah, no problem. Our deputy will meet you. Let us know when you're in town, and we'll send one of the deputies around. And the deputy will escort you to the first Elysium that night because the right. deputy will know where Elysium right. is. But why do we send the deputy, Nate? Because he's not that important. But also, if you fuck up, he can fuck you up. Right. It's, an, it's, 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 it's a very candid way, but the deputy should go to this guy to assess him. Right. Absolutely. Deputy's an extension of the sheriff. So the sheriff we're not going to send, that's, that's an important role. We'll yeah. send the deputy just in case Teddy the Tortor is Teddy the Zemis. Right. And, and that's, that's the key that, that we, we, need to, we need to mention, that you know it's all well and good, but also a large part of the sect's business, you know, they believe everyone is a part of it. But they're, they're, you know, that's not true. Right. However, a lot of those people that aren't part of it, that the Camarilla says are part of it, is because they have to clean up their messes when they're violating the masquerade, you know, when they're at war with this other sect. And that's, you know, that's a conversation. That's a conversation for rooms other than the room in Elysium. And Teddy, you'll get that conversation later on because I heard you're an expert swordsman. Right. So, Teddy, you come with a heavy rep. So naturally, we sent people to vet you. I do mean that. Mm-hmm. Deputy's going to go. He's going to talk with you right. per his personality. And a deputy only cares to confirm the knowledge you sent in your letter. Right. And oddly, smart deputy studies the city you're from, maybe even ask the sheriff, do we know them over there? Right. Get a little inside info. But then he's not going to reveal anything to you. He's just going to ask you about it. He's going to interrogate you. Right. And Teddy can only be Teddy. And Teddy can go, ah, fuck. I was just embraced about a month ago, and uh, I went through all the traditions, did a lot of hoo-ha. Definitely didn't kill that ghoul on Elysium. I really know the traditions. <laughs> hey, what about that ghoul you killed on Elysium? I was a ghoul. I was punished. That was handled. That's uh, kind of why I'm here. I, I couldn't stay there because of that stink. I want a fresh one. The deputy goes, no problem. Hey, you sit tight, okay? Yeah, well, tonight you're a little underdressed. I'm going to see if you can clear with the keeper this, just this once, unless you want to go like that. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm a fucking fashion god. All right, let's go. In other words, Deputy's not there to worry about your social mores. Right. He's going to bring you to Elysium. Your first meeting to Elysium before hospitality should be pins and needles. You're walking in and you were about to be judged by every monster that, that calls home to the city. Yeah. Has title or not. To me, I've always looked at the first night in a new city as the uh, like starting a new job. Only every person that works at that job kind of wants to kill you. Right. <laughs> they don't want you there. Right. Because you're an advantage to my to my enemies. Right. You may be an advantage to me. I still don't want you there because I now have to work and, and it's going to cost me to get you on my right. side. I now have to make sure that getting you on my side doesn't stick my neck out. Right. Think of it like this. Think of that, that analogy, starting a new job, moving to a new high school, um, you know, joining, a, going to prison. Yep. It's, it's all of those things at once. And it should put you in a position where you're like, I don't know where I stand. I I don't know who wants me to be friends, who wants to, and everyone wants to be your pal because they want to gain something from you. 
Maybe they want to get in touch with your sire. Maybe they want to use your martial prowess. Maybe they want to see how good at art you are so that if you're better than them, they can shit on you. All of those things. Everyone is judging you. What you dress, what you wear, how you talk, who you are, how you speak. This is everything on your first night on Elysium. It's even worse on hospitality night because just the night on Elysium, that may not be everybody. Right. You may you will definitely get the movers and shakers and those who want to be known. Usually the most popular people who have yet to obtain a title. They're gonna right. be in Elysium because they want to be the folks who are garnering favor. Right. You can't garner favor standing at your haven. Right. But if you're on Elysium and you're there and folks are coming, they know they could talk to you, you can get involved and help out and take care of things and, and acquire uh, boons. Meanwhile, the new boy new boy Teddy comes in and Teddy's like, Wow, man, nice Elysium. Hey everybody. And he may meet a coterie or three. Right. You know, definitely the harpy. The harpy should haunt Elysium like herpes does to the sex organs, right? <laughs> because the harpy and keeper should work hand in hand to know everybody top down. Right. Because they want favor too, because they want to force people to do things for them in cleanup, in, in protection, in, in securing the very best havens, and in, in doing something. Why? The keeper has to represent the elders in the city and knowing how to care right. for the Elysiums the Prince Grants. Right. And but, I, I think more, more momentarily, we should, we should get into at least the basic concepts of, of the positions. But let's, let's give Teddy a moment to catch his proverbial breath. Right? Got it. Everything here seems very confusing. Like, man, how do I even understand any of this? And let's talk about Teddy. Let's talk about what happened to get Teddy even here tonight right? His embrace and, and why he was embraced, right? Let's just clear out all the bullshit. Let's talk about this character creation, right? Yep. We've already, we've already goofus and gallanted Teddy sort of like through the traditions, but what's the one thing that's a major focus, right? When you created Teddy, Teddy had Teddy, somebody chose Teddy, right? Let's talk about the crunch, right? Right. Let's get into that. Then let's do right. a little stat munching. When you're building this character, a camera, character, you always have to think of your sire first. Right. Always. Did I have a sire as the traditional sire as blah, 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 all that stuff. But for this, for this encounter, right. Teddy has a proper sire in good standing, not great, but in good standing. And one, finally, this century is his choice to embrace. And he embraces Teddy. We've already decided great fencer. Right. That's his art form. Um, and we're doing that for popularity. Easy to see. There you go. <laughs> right. Um, less to have to talk about. Right. So Teddy gets embraced. I won that progeny. Um, but we're still with the mechanic crunch. So regardless of what works out the prince, which we already dove into me and Nate are both co-writing this Teddy guy. And we're thinking what's important. Well, we know I got to be good at fencing. Right. Right. So I'm gonna have to have at least a three melee. Let's go right. there. Right. I wouldn't go higher than three book. Doesn't want you to go higher than three. So let's just keep it at three. Right. But my dexterity, my physical is gonna have to be my primary. Cause that's where clearly I shine through. Right. My talents and my raw ability. All right, cool. Right. However, Teddy's not a cold fish. I mean, look right. at the clan I'm going into. And, and because, and, and why is that? Well, you know, we, we, we've all made our fair share of combat monsters, right? We've all went, eh, it'd be cool if I made a Torador who was like a badass swordsman. Well, we made Teddy because Teddy's sire saw something that needed to be saved for all time. So something about Teddy exists his way that he expresses himself with the blade, the way that he interprets his opponent's maneuvers. So we expression there. Right. We talk about empathy being a target there, the right. ability to identify with the emotions of others, being used in a combat scenario, but also 
just relating to people. Right. Right. This speaks to having a manipulation ability of some sort, the ability to not only uh, guide people the way you want to guide them, but to understand the motivations of right. someone as you're dealing with them. Um, Teddy has a decent charisma. Right. And what's decent? Yeah, at least a two. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he shines the three. Right. Something, something rounds him out. So we're identifying social right. as being secondary here. Right. You know, mental's tertiary, but we might want to put more points in it because quick thinking on your feet is a wit hallmark. For sure. And and I think it's important to note, like, yeah, Teddy uh, Teddy was a fencer. We'll call him a nearly Olympic level fencer, right? He was very close to it, but Teddy was less concerned about competition and more concerned about the expression of the blade, right? Well, how the hell did Teddy get there? How did Teddy become this person? Did Teddy have a good family life? Did Teddy have two parents that cared about him? Or did Teddy have a single mom that scraped and, and, and worked hard every day of her life? I think Teddy had a good family. And I think he, yeah. had, a, he had like a sister or a brother he competed with. Mm-hmm. And, and already in the family, they had smarts and they had an outgoing personality. Right. You know, maybe a lawyer or a doctor working. And who knows where they ended up. But Teddy's had, right. they were all, like everybody, they were always doing better Supportive than Supportive parents. People, right. that, people that worked for him so that he could indulge in this you know, very um, kind of off the beaten path uh, form of expression, right? Teddy's a bit apple pie. Right. Teddy feels that he gets along with his family and he wishes well on people. So he wants to do well, but damn it, Teddy was always good in, in athletics. Right. That's where he excelled, but he didn't like the smash mouth sports and he wasn't into that sort right. of thing. Uh, really decent at soccer and, and, and of the like. And right. he decided that uh, he, he there's a fencing club that he got involved with sure. for activity. Why? Because Teddy's from Germany. You know, maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's, you know, where, wherever Teddy's from. Well, we'll make it easier. We'll say Teddy's from France, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's a lot going on there, and his parents are there, and he goes to college out there and whatnot, but he also moonlights in the States, mm-hmm. right? Learned English is a second language. is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know why. And, uh, you know, Teddy comes to and from. Right. So we're basically building a whole life right. of Teddy before he gets fame. But what drew this sire? Right. Uh, for me, you don't have to do this. For me, I think about it. I don't want to know about my sire at all when I make a character, but I do want to know what might motivate him. What, what, what seduced this sire into needing me embraced? That's important. And so in that, I know my sire is, is lustful. Right. They want to covet someone. They want to control someone and make them theirs. Um, I did something to stand out in that moment. We'll hold that moment. But what else about my sire do I know? My sire might be more monstrous than I knew. Yeah. But they are capable of seduction. So right. when they approach, I'm not going to want to deal with some. I, I may not have a choice. But in my head for Teddy, Teddy didn't have a bad embrace. Right. This is not a savage grab in an alleyway. No, of course not. You and, know? and that's a key thing to note, that there is something about you that has attracted the eye of a monster who's dealing with his own slip towards the beast. Right? That's That's the key thing. Maybe what it was was that Teddy... Teddy was experienced in an art that is kind of old school, right? And maybe Teddy's sire, maybe that was something he was into when he was in his youth. Maybe Teddy's sire was into it but could never do it. Right. It just wasn't them, you know? Or let's get deep. Maybe Teddy's sire is gay. Right. You know? And he covets it. Now, granted, he's a vampire, though. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter. Sexuality's been removed. He's a a beautiful man, and he's incredibly live, and just, just a joy to watch move, but... I must feed from him and I don't want anyone else to have him. And I don't want his age to rot. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to lose what he has. I must have him. I'm owed. However, that worked out. 
we've established a strong idea of who this sire was, but we've also armed the storyteller with the unknown. What does Teddy know? He was wooed with money, mm-hmm. an invitation, private match, opponents were had, Teddy bested them, and maybe the sire who just can't fence as good as Teddy gets out there, and Teddy learns that this guy beat him handedly easily. Because when I said that he's not good at it, according to the sire, sire isn't good at it. We don't know how old he is. <laughs> What's his definition of not good? I'm willing to bet you the best fencer that exists today could not compete with the aficionado of the times right. of where it came from. They're just talents and skills lost. There is something to say that there are new techniques developed as you know they combine. But let's humor this on saying the raw talent of being a vampire is enough to come across right. to cover a gap. Well, and that's the other thing, too, that perhaps that sire interprets talent and skill as two different things. There you go. Perhaps the sire is quite skilled at fencing because he's had 500 years to practice, but he sees that Teddy has a talent for it. In right? 500 years, Teddy has what he has now. Right. You know, and, and, and these are all, these are what we call cues, right? These are story cues. These are the things that you should be thinking about when you're making a character. And that is important, right? Because when we started this podcast, Teddy was a one dimensional dope, right? He was deep, derp. And, and the within, 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 right, within 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we can, we can create all of these little cues where we go, oh, what is this? Where does this come from? And that's what we really want to be thinking about when we create a character for the Camarilla. When we create a character, period. And right. we did the same thing in our Sabat podcast. We talked about that character then. And this is the same thing. The way that you get richness out of this game is the same way you get richness out of life. Life is full of complexity. So is this role-playing game. And when you make a character that has multiple dimensions, that has motivations, that has things that that piss it off, you know, why did he kill that ghoul? Why does he fence? Why did his sire pick him? These are questions that you should be asking. And it's it's something that you'll develop the more that you play this game. And as the more that you play this game, it'll become less complex. So will the concept of making a character. Now, the in, in, in the camera, a lot of times the character creation is a harder process. Right. And that's because there's unknowns that you're not in control of that you want to know. You can't. You have to go with inference. Basically, you're arming the storyteller with these cues. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you build it. Because the storyteller is going to read your sheet, not his dots alone. It's going to read to your background. They have to match up. Right. To understand how the world might take you. Now, we went through the skills, abilities, and we know that knowledge is tertiary. It doesn't mean knowledge doesn't matter. It means that whatever Teddy went through... Knowledges have to be what they are to support what we've done so far. Does that mean that you have to be like, man, I just don't have the points to build this character as awesome as I thought? No. In terms of the book, they're very good at telling what one through five is. Having a zero means you're nothing in something. (laughs) However, you have a one, you can hold your own in it. Right. You still get a chance. Like I might be able to remove a car battery, even though I know jack shit about mechanics, right? I I get an intelligence check just like anybody else, but I could fuck up my car. Right. But if I have that mechanics. Right. Right. If I have that one dot, I absolutely know a lot of the ins and outs about the car. Right. Um, and, and how to replace a battery. Yeah. I still mm-hmm. have to roll for it to see how well I do. For sure. But there's no chance of me fucking it up as bad if I had nothing. Right. Now, now if I was Joe PQ mechanic, my dice pool could be way higher than the difficulty of replacing this battery. It's like rote. I just high enough. Sh- sh- why boom. do I have you bother right. rolling? Right. I know how to remove a battery. Look at how high my dice pool is. Hi, I'm Nate. You know, right. I have zero dice pool. You know, I have I have a two. Nate and, and Bob can combine their dice pools. We're still not right. We're still <laughs> We're not still working on your car. Two dopes looking under a hood that don't know <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, but Teddy, right, also doesn't know fuck all about a car. Right, he's just been, and that's something to consider the time. How good you are in something is going to take time away from other things, and that's what the dot system's all about. Right. 
But then we get down to something that I think is where the vampiric half comes in, right? Yes, disciplines, but look, take a note to virtues first. I always say that. We know Teddy has a conscience. We know Teddy has a conscience. But how high of a conscience? Is Teddy your average? You know he's up there at that too. And yes, two is average for that. I don't mean average as in numerically, you know, not mathematically, but in the system sense. They put two as being average for that of human, right? Three is is more emotional. That's somebody who absolutely has a deep conscience and a profound sense in right and wrong, a uh, sense of honor to them maybe. Uh, higher than that, and we're getting to a very, very sensitive individual where, you know, I don't know. I guess I would say it depends on the conscience level you want for your character and how much you're able to role play that. Uh, I would say, Teddy, I'm very comfortable with him having a two. Uh, Teddy is not uh, the card-carrying example. I mean, we know he cuts off a ghoul's head. So let's just say that maybe his conscience isn't so high, but it's decent. It's average. We get to self-control. Teddy's going to be self-controlled. I, yeah, I cut off a ghoul's head, but we don't know how Teddy got there, and let's hold that. So I'm going to put a self-control three, maybe even four, depending. And then, the, and then the rest, I'm going to balance out in courage. Maybe I will kick an off point up to uh, conscience again, giving him above average. But maybe that's a comfortable place to be. That all depends on how we want Teddy to balance out. We're not going to go through every minutia, but we're just pointing out how you may tackle your virtues and tie them to your character. Because we know Teddy has to be courageous. He fights with a sword, right? He's practiced with it. He's not afraid of that. If you're somebody who can take a sword to somebody competently and with confidence and with skill, you're somebody that can handle a fist fight. You're somebody that's not afraid to get hit. You understand you practice an art where life or death are part of it. Right. You know, in a fist fight, whoops, I hit you with an elbow. You may have a bruise. I may, I may break your ocular cavity. You can come back from that. We're, we're dueling. My whoops is I cut your jugular vein and you die horrible. You know what I mean? Death is around the corner. Take some courage to do that. And then we'll derive will. You know, we'll take your conscience. We'll take your self-control combine them or excuse me your courage i'm fucked that up your courage flat out mm-hmm. is going to represent your starting will um what i want to address about that starting will a lot of people look at that let's say i have a four courage and translate as four willpower man that's low and you're thinking right. from power usage right you're immediately knowing how dominate and all the other powers that fuck with your willpower is going to be don't do that right don't don't do that think about it look up what the four rating is four is decent well, Bob, look, there's something I don't understand. Shouldn't I be building my character to strategically use my discipline so that, that I'm effective in a combat or fight scenario? Let's look at disciplines. I'll answer that question, but let's analyze that. We uh-huh. know I get auspic, celerity, and presence. They're in right. plan. We already talked about Teddy uh, being all these skilled and everything else, but what does his beast look like? So let's say you get three dots, right? Mm-hmm. I definitely need to be quick. Right. One celerity is justified. Right. The beast is going to adapt to my naturally athletic body to represent what I can do. It's a, it's a gimme. However, I need to be able to perceive my prey, to see where they're going, to see what they're about to do, mm-hmm. to understand and anticipate. Auspex is a must. There's that dot. Uh, but why presence? How, why, high, wow and high, why the hell would the beast need a presence? Because sometimes I need to seduce my prey. Right. Sometimes I need to put them at ease. So they don't run and flee and cause noise to alarm the other prey. Because stealth is paramount always to the beast. I don't mean stealthy attribute. Look at your beast as the closet monster, the shadow monster. It's the, like your, your conscience, but not in a good way. Exactly. It avoids the light. It doesn't want you to know it's there. Or excuse me, it doesn't want anyone else to know it's there. Because it sees everyone else as food. You're the predator. You and the beast are the same. It's just trying to get you to realize that. And you're weak. 
until its blood gets in your veins, and then it's trying to grow into who you are. That's another way to look at it. Except you were raised by your sire, who is a monster, and it depends on how he presented himself. But to your beast, it knows it's the fledgling, mm-hmm. right? It's going to know. But a lot of times, your attributes naturally are going to sing to the beast, and it's going to enhance what's already there. It's not going to go for your weakest. A lot of people like to build a character and say, I'm not too good at fighting, so I better have three celerity. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. You don't want to do that. Um, yes, you can get out of fights real quick, and you can do more and around all that blah, 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 crunch bullshit. But the point is, it doesn't speak to who you are. You know. So for Teddy, we agree Teddy's well-rounded. Right. Teddy's starting birth stats are what they are. And now we have a full-on character. Right. We combine constant self-control, get that starting humanity, and we know what Teddy feels and where he's at. But what Teddy wasn't ready for is the fact that after I was embraced, the horrible urges that are birthed into him off right. the bat. You know, he was wooed by a sire. We agreed to that because we got to decide how my relationship with my sire was. You know, my sire love fencing told me about spent all night talking about it, but then he also told me he couldn't let me go in some fashion or whatever or whatever fashion teddy imagined it happened in we'll say teddy was seduced and when teddy was embraced he agreed to it but he no one ever is prepared for that night's resurgence of rebirth so when teddy comes back that lust for blood that need that only all-encompassing need screams in his mind after the embrace as it does for any vampire ever made and he looks at people as food and maybe because the sire's smart, and remember, the sire's quite old, um, or at least older than Teddy by comparison. He has someone who's been like a companion that night. Maybe Teddy's last lover right. for the evening. Maybe it was, a, it was a prostitute or even a friend, maybe a member of the sire's herd mm-hmm. that was there. And they were there to be Teddy's everything for the evening. And of course, to appease Teddy, Teddy got a new life for winning the tournament. He got a new, uh, a new backer, a new... His thoughts were on the future and how awesome it was going to be. Then he's made an immortal and realizes something after the fact. At his feet is this woman, and her throat's ripped open, and Teddy did it. And he's no longer hungry, but he still wants to go back for seconds. It's just that he knows there's no seconds. And it was the best feeling, the best flavor, the taste he can't deny, and he could still hear that there's more. He's the surging, exploding lion in the savannah who just ate the antelope. And he had a meal, but he wants more. And the only person to stop him is that sire who... Tips him on the nose. Well done, Teddy. How does, that, how does Teddy digest that? Right. How do you go through that process? And we won't go through that. Right. But that should be your thought. Fuck, man. I'm at that point in character creation. And, and that's, that's the key here, right? Remember, this game is a default. It's a Camarilla game, right? Every time you make a character, you should be making a character who has to deal with the transition from life into death. And it's not just an aside, right? Your vampire is not just an analog for you. It's not, it's not, I'm going to make Nate the vampire and I'm, I'm just a vampire with powers. Now you're making a human being, a character with motivations, with desires, with lusts, but also with the beast, with something that's driving it towards murder and even use yourself as an analog. How would you deal with that night to night? Now think of Teddy. How would Teddy deal with it? Because Teddy's not you. you. How do you empathize with that? Teddy is the one who has to do it. How do you empathize with Teddy? Right. Right. And remember, and this is critical. The beast is insidious because the beast is you. Right. Right. Teddy ceases to be as a human. He is now Teddy the vampire, which means he's Teddy the beast. Right. And the beast has been tricked into believing it's this Teddy guy with this huge life, except the beast knows. No, it's not. Right. 
my my tastes are perverse. I want carnage. I want blood. I lust for blood. I am greedy for blood. Right. That's well, and and how does Ted keep himself from slipping down that slope to and, something and just becoming some fucking ravenous creature? He has to rail against it mm-hmm. using his humanity. Right. Using what he remembers from life. There you go. Right. It's not so much that he feels conscience right because there's a part of him now that's like it's food eat it it's yours take it right but there's some morality that was in his head where he goes no no i if i do that i'm just giving in and i'm a i'm a monster well i fight against that by using morality by using guilt that's and it's a shitty way to say it but the best way to handle this mm-hmm. Is for you to have that awkwardness, but make it role play. Your storyteller's responsibility is that if you have a sire that's there and you're playing that embrace right there, and that's something you're doing in game, you cannot ignore the player. Right. If your player is wailing in in, in humanity, you have to figure out a way to empathize with them, to struggle in that moment and enjoy it. You are literally lamenting the aspect that that player realizes they're a monster. And what it is like to truly be damned. And then to look at the fact, how do I, I'm, I'm being slowly drug into the Sarlacc pit and I'm Boba Fett <laughs> right. and, I'm, and I'm trying to hang on to the sides for dear life, but I'm being pulled in. Sarlacc monsters, the beast, except it's much slower. It has all day. The, the, the Sarlacc beast is just going to let more sand fall on you. Right. When you think you have the tightest grip possible, it'll even let you get a couple handholds up just to open up a wider circle right? and show you how much farther you have to the lip. And it has forever to wait for you to fall into its yummy mouth. And that's how you have to look at it. Your sire should be the motherfucker with the rope. Right. So it sounds to me like, Bob, that this game is more of a game of like maintaining your morality and preventing the inevitable slip into the beast than it is about maybe gaining political power. You're correct. Holy shit, that's a revelation. You're correct. Let's talk about some of the political power that stands above you. Got it. (laughs) So we talked a lot about the prince, right? And really, what is the prince? The prince is a title for someone who basically... Judge, jury, and executioner of the traditions empowered by the Camarilla founders. Right, right. Inner council. Right. So, uh, of course, that is way cliff notes. And we're going to get into that. We'll we'll dedicate an entire podcast to talking about the prince and talking about all the little maneuvers that you could use if ever you find yourself as a player or storyteller in the position of prince. But this is day one Camarilla, right? This is this is I've just arrived to your city. And the next thing that we we have to mention are the primogen council, right? And in some cities, they are the bulwark against the prince. The prince is perhaps too powerful. In some cities, they're the opposite, right? Right. They're the ones in charge. Right. They are using their, and we'll we'll talk about the Jihad Diary, Beckett's Jihad Diary. And again, we're using Chicago as an example. It's where we live. It's what we know. There is no Prince modern day. There is just a coterie of powerful primogen that rule that city, both with each other and against each other. And how that works is, remember, the camera doesn't really care who's Prince period, but they want a prince. Right. So Chicago's unique that they allow a permission council to rule there, but that's because they know anyone who tries to stand up as prince that they didn't appoint clearly doesn't survive. Right. However, it's still a Camarilla-held city, so they have to acquiesce to the fact they are strong enough as a council 
to hold the city where it needs to be. Right. And it's and it's able to function. Right. And also, I think, um, just as an aside, uh, an out-of-game statement, I think that it continues to exist that way for you, a storyteller, or you, a player, to be in, in a game where you can go through that process of, of electing a prince. And I, I well, use elect in a loose sense because it's not. Well, we'll not use elect. We'll say to earn it. Right. Through favor, prestation, deed, or out-and-out out force and blackmail, right. however you do it. You claw your way to the top and you get there. So, you mentioned the whip. What is what is the whip? So, if I'm a primogen and I'm the ultimate selected in the clan, am I going to handle every new person that comes to the city or every single problem someone has? No more than you would if you were the prince. Right. I'm the Torador primogen, baby. Right. I got things to do. My purage doesn't have time for me to sit down and explain to you what the best spots in the city are for you to eat. Right. What, how much money do you even have? <laughs> right, where, where right, are we pointing right. this out? Because I'm the primogen. Right. Now, I do have somebody who is my right hand. It is someone that tells me what is on the pipeline, what changes in the meetings are, um, what to look out for, what they heard in Elysium, you know, all the important things that I may need to hear. Right. Well, that's my whip. And I have my whip to be the one to get harassed by everyone else in the clan for everything they possibly have. And in this regard, it's just like the deputy, just like the lesser harpy, just like the seneschal. Those are all positions where they gain all the minutiae. Right. They're, they're, they have the bullshit levied upon them. It's also training. They have to learn what the clan is going to demand of them as a whip. All the things that a clan member might think of or look out for or need, you know? And what is that? Real quick, if I'm new in town, I'm Teddy the Torador, I need to know the ins and outs. I need to know where I can stay, where I can sleep, who to talk to, who not to talk to as a clan. You know, how is the prince? My night of hospitality hasn't come. Is there anything I could do to make that easier? Is Does the prince need anything done? What is he like? Should I get a gift? Should I not get a gift? Your primogen will not fucking want to hear that. Right. However, right. the whip has to. And why does the whip has to? Because the whip has to sit there and go, you poor, poor, deluded individual. Or, my gracious friend... Let me show you what you need to know. And it's all going to be based on what you built on your character and what you come in with and how you hold yourself. Right. But you will learn. That's the first step. So the whip will get you in with the primogen. Now, once that's done, you're pretty much in the city under comfort because once the whip's extended to you, you are under the primogen's aegis. So you you were acknowledged as that. Right. And and that the, the key thing to note, too, is that there might be... The whip is one of those positions where it may not even exist in a city, right? Every city is a little bit different, but it's a it's a core enough position that it bears mentioning uh, that, you know, essentially they're they're given position, they're given authority by the primogen to sort of act on their behalf. But, you know, it has a varying degree of actual political power. Right. You don't have the ability to make a decision for the primogen. You do have an ability to handle the gimmies, the obvious answers to questions that you honestly wouldn't know new coming in. So uh, from there, because we know what the primogen do, right? Right. Um, so there, or maybe, maybe not. We've been saying yes, we know. So a primogen's an advisor to the prince as a council. This means if someone's up to be destroyed, the prince had best speak to the primogen council first. Right. Ideally, you, the primogen, already know the individual coming up and have have spoken with the sheriff who bro- drugged this guy in. Have spoken to everybody else. And oddly, if you're if you're a damn good primogen, you're already aware of the incident. And have decided if you're going to let this get to the rest of the hierarchy or not. Right. Because it's the unspoken rule. The primogen combined and the prince have the most influence in the city. So if Teddy's first embrace was one that slipped to the morgue, 
in that town, the Primogen decided to allow that to get to the notice and attention of the prince. Right. Because ultimately, it's the Primogen who used their influence to make sure it never comes to that and gain the favor from it. Right. That's how it works. And we talk about the Primogen Council. And again, remember, these are going to be different to some degree in every city, but in the in its ideal build, in its ideal makeup, in its original true form. It is essentially those with the most authority, the most influence, the most power, the most age, right? And it's not something that like the prince would go, this is my primogen council, again, in a perfect city. In the ideal Camarilla city, those that are powerful enough to sit on that council simply sit on the council. It's a coterie, right? And what is their coterie? What is the purpose of their coterie? To rule. To preserve the masquerade. Right. To preserve the status quo. You got it. And so who gets to sit on that primogen council? Those that they accept? Well, who appoints them? Nobody. Right. How, however, on paper, you're going to read, the prince appoints the Primogen Council. Yeah, initially. Yeah, in some cities, he can. If it was the first council ever built, and it was a uh, desert, mm-hmm. right? But odds are, the Primogen selected, or the person that's going to be up there, the one that the prince can use to nail down the domain. Right, right. Right? What I mean by use, the prince ideally doesn't have to have any any influence whatsoever. Right. That's what the Primogen Council are for. He's the judge during executioner. If you're a primogen, one primogen dare tell the prince that you're not going to do something, then I will clip you from my garden and we will have another. Right. Huh? Thought you said combined. Yeah, I did say combined. Do you think the primogen council gets along with each other? Right, right. No, that's, 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 that's the thing that, that what I say when nobody appoints them. Right. When that primogen, when, it, when a new primogen comes and he sits in those meetings, the collective primogen council, they go, okay, we won't kill this one. You know, that's the situation. Yep. All of this is like a weird, delicate ballet, right? Yeah. And if someone just steps out of line, it can fuck up the whole cart, right? But the people can that fuck, fuck up the up, whole dance. We thank them. Right. Because that's interesting. Right. Right. Or you go by routine. Yeah. Someone forgot to clean. Someone was caught on camera right. beating a guy a little too fast. Right. We covered it up. We really can't get nothing from and, it. And I feel like, again, I, I just have to restate like this is not necessarily how your game has to be. But I feel like this, much like when we talked about our Sabbat, like this is how it was intended. This is the way it was created. Right. This is the right to the wrong. Right. And. I mean, it, there is a right and a wrong way to play it, right? If your primogen council are all 13th generation Bruja and your prince is a 7th generation Ventru and he assigned them all because he, that's not wrong, but it's also not right. You're trying to control an area right? And hold it down for an organization. Right. And so the positions are there for a reason. Um, and we haven't talked about an important one. Teddy's in town. Deputy went. Who the fuck's the deputy? Deputy's an extension of the sheriff. Mm-hmm. What does the sheriff do? Uh, well, the sheriff's the enforcer of the prince. He's the right hand of the prince. Right. He's the martial hand of the prince's rule. If a masquerade breach happens or evidence of a masquerade breach, it's the, it's the sheriff that goes and investigate, the sheriff and his deputies. Right. And they will drag the offender to the prince. Think of that term and, and apply it. You know, it's the sheriff of Nottingham. It's the sheriff of uh, the Old West uh, frontier town. You know, it is that. It is the guy who's the authority of the president or the prince, or the authority figure. He's then, the one who goes and... And in that regard, he has fear. Right. Right? In live action, they give you the status of feared for having a sheriff. In tabletop, you need to know that he is a fearful entity. He is the person that if you vanish, if you're dead, if you're gone, the sheriff only ever has to answer to the prince. So if you're gone, you're dead, and people know a vampire was involved, then a sheriff turns around and tells everyone, uh, I didn't find the offender, but the incident was covered up, and I don't think we have to worry about it ever again. 
And the prince looks at him very well. Can I speak with you? Mm-hmm. Everyone on fucking Elysium should go, wait a second. All right, something happened here. Maybe. Is it yours to run around and figure it out? I fucking wouldn't. <laughs> I fucking wouldn't. Right. Those two bulls are about to meet in the back about the ins and outs of what may or may not have happened, and I want no part of it. You For know sure. who gets to hear about it? The harpy. Why does the harpy get to hear about it? And I'll tell you how. Harpy's not in in that meeting, but the harpy's outside the door looking at everybody who's trying to eavesdrop. Mm-hmm. Right? The harpy's job is to make the hierarchy look good, and most importantly, is often called the voice of the prince. So if outside that door and I'm the harpy and I'm listening in, not eavesdropping, I'm listening to tone, and I hear the sheriff, and I hear the prince, (laughs) I fucking know the sheriff fucked up. You don't need to know specifics, but I know this much. It's going well. It's going good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No one's dead, at least not yet, so we're we're all right. Right. But then then in the end, if I hear, or if if I'm listening to that room and all I hear is, (laughs) that I know is the harpy, fuck me, they just killed somebody. (laughs) They just conspired to kill someone. And now I'm going, I would like to cry scandal, but I also like to live. Right, right. So, but how can I spin this to everyone else? I'm going to look to the prince's rivals. I'm going to look all over the place. I'm kind of stepping into the harpy's arena for a different pod. But the point is, that's what that position does. It's there to protect the hierarchy. It's also there to muckrake. Right. And to earn favor and to control the debt. It does a lot. Right. So Teddy the Torador, right, needs to know and be aware that there is a nightmare man and he's called the sheriff. And yes, I may visibly see him on Elysium and his deputies. They don't give a fuck what the primogen have to say. They don't care what the Seneschal would like. The harpy doesn't care over the clothing they're wearing. They don't give a fuck. They don't care that the keeper of Elysium doesn't want him on Elysium. Right. Only the prince moves them. They exist solely for the prince. And by the way, there's an even subsect of deputies. They're called hounds. Now, that's what a lot of people gravitate toward. In fact, you'll see in books where they don't even mention deputies anymore. They just call them hounds. Yeah. Right? You got to understand, it's not that deputies don't exist. It's that, and I like to point this out. If I'm the sheriff and I have the clout to have deputies, and I do because I'm the sheriff, right. I appoint investigators. I appoint people who help, my, help me do my job. You know, in extension, they gain favor by the immunities that they get from me. However, if I'm the prince, I will always need those who I can call upon to be the bully squad. Right, exactly. And that's that's the key. Like, you have your sheriff, and the sheriff has his beat squad, right? And um, I think that it's important to realize in all situations, shit rolls downhill. It is, uh, doesn't matter if you're called a hound. It doesn't matter if you're called a deputy. It doesn't matter if you're called brute squad, beat squad, bully boys, you you're the guy that nobody you're the you're the individual nobody wants to be around because uh at every at every moment it could be problematic for me right we're not friends no. because you're authority right you're the direct authority of the prince and and that's that's the that's the thing that you want to bear in mind and um, you also talked about the keeper of elysium right what the fuck does the keeper of elysium do keeper of elysium is a beautiful position because it's more of an honorific than anything but you're basically a person who's been realized by the elders of the city, which may include or may not include the primogen and the prince. Because it's possible to not be an elder and have those positions. Yeah. Yeah. But there are elders who have influence that back the Camarilla here and really establish the importance of the city as a whole. Right. Those elders are looking for someone who they can call upon to tend to what they consider precious. And that's Elysium. Right. And they, what is that? And, and Elysium are these sites that are chosen that have... Their neutrality. I won't even tell why. We'll do wait for the keeper to tell why you would choose and how. But these sites are chosen with importance by these elders, proved by the prince, and the keeper takes care of these sites. 
It sets up the salons that they would have, and a salon, quick version, party. It's literally a <laughs> right, select right, right. elite party uh, for only those who are invited. And typically, a salon, all are invited. You'll, you'll, you'll be told. No one ever right. says there's a salon and, you know, no one's, you know, you right. get the idea. Please wait for the What's a Salon podcast. Right. But the point is, the elders want a place they can go to at any time and hang out with other elders. Or hang out with other members of the camera. Right, and be at peace, right? Not talk about politics, not talk about fighting, not watch you ruin artwork, right? Elysium was created so that the elders could have a place free from the toils of politics. No. That's bullshit. Right, that's a big hook in a fish's mouth. But, But overtly, talking about politics is taboo. Can we call it what it is? It's basically exactly what it is for prison when you meet in the yard. Yeah, absolutely. We meet in the yard. We'll discuss business in the yard. We're not supposed to fight. Right. And that's that's the key that everyone needs to realize. Politics business is strictly forbidden on Elysium, but business is always handled on Elysium. Right. Right. That's That's what we have to remember. When we talk about like, oh, man, there's just too many subtleties of this game. The whole fucking game is subtlety. The whole fucking Camarilla is sub- right. subtlety. Everything about it is. If you don't want subtlety, fucking play an Anarch. <laughs> right. Right. And even then, you'll find them. Right. Just not as many. Right. Now, why, though? Because you were literally playing the royalty of Vampire. I can't, that's, to sum all this up, you're royalty, every one of you, and you're trying to gain. Imagine that the royal palace in England, it is possible for someone to gain their way into that family. Blow your mind, wouldn't it? There's a way for you to be considered part of their lineage to one day rule England. I'd like to be a duke, Bob. I'd like to be a duke. So would I. I would like to be Lancelot Capability Brown. Right? (laughs) He's real, and he was in line to be there, but not necessarily in royal blood. But the point is, Mm -hmm. that's what the Camarilla is. It's an eye into that. And instead of a queen or a king, it's a prince that sits there in a city. So for Teddy the Torador, he's waiting around for his hospitality night. His character's made. He's equipped. And, and Teddy is now looking for that next part. And I would say this is when Teddy will realize he's an Ancilla. He knows enough to be a neonate, which is now exist and learn. And learn to get a grip. But right. Teddy's now looking for how to be an Ancilla. And that'll come many years later once he's mastered what all the positions are, where he is, and how they work. Right, absolutely. And I, uh, I think that um, hopefully this podcast is educational enough for you to go, man, I kind of get, I kind of understand what they're saying, but I want to emphasize one thing and I'm going to emphasize it every single podcast that we do on these, these educational podcasts, they're not a replacement for reading the books. The way that you get experience is through play and through reading, right? And you should, you should definitely do that. Guide to the Camarilla, uh, the, the V20 books, the, the revised edition books, the first edition books, read them. Read anything that you can get your hands on so that you better understand because this barely scratches the surface of what life is like in a Camarilla. What we're doing here is we're giving, like why we said there's more coming. This is a wet your whistle. Because right. clearly there are sections we mentioned here that we stopped ourselves from getting into. We may even lost you at points because there's stuff you need to explain. We know this. Right. But this, it's impossible to talk about the Sabbat with talking about a starting character and what that starting character is to deal with. We talked about Teddy and what a starting Teddy would have to deal with. We had to do a podcast in the traditions. Did you know the traditions existed way before the Camarilla? Right. Right? And that's they didn't make it up. 
they're using them. Right. And so, and that's important. And that comes, that comes at a later date, but we got to give you enough of a taste of everything to understand you, the starting camera player, your position at, in that society. And when you start out, it's nothing. Right. But you are a card carrying member once you're acknowledged and you're there once right. the hospitality has been gone through and then you can earn and grow. Right. And that's the important thing. When you're embraced as a fledgling, you're essentially less than nothing, right? You're, you're zero, you're zilch. When you become acknowledged by a prince, when you're released from the accounting of your sire, then you become nothing. As we're winding down, I want to want to point this out: how to role play yourself in that society. I've I have actually seen enough to where I can tell you there are there are two, maybe even three distinctions. There are three mm-hmm. that I could say. The first one is is the proper Camarilla member. This is somebody who I've role played, I've seen role played that is that is often a star. Right. They'll come in and shoot through the ranks because of this, because they are playing to the ego of the game. And this is someone who comes in, I'm not acknowledged yet, the prince hasn't seen me, I'm on Elysium, and you stand by your whip. And you don't say anything. You don't make eye contact with people. You, it's not that you keep your head down, be you, but your job is to talk to who you were given permission to talk to. When you have a question, ask to speak first. You mind your P's and Q's, your etiquette's on point. And what you're going to find is, is you're spoken well of. People like you. Folks like to have you around. You may even get XP that night. Right. Because everybody else doesn't follow that. Your story told me, think, oh man, how great you are. Meanwhile, your story told me, know how great you are that when you were there that night and you overheard the problems that people may have been having, especially within your own clan or that the prince is even dealing with, you have the ability to investigate those things. And you turn around and tell the storyteller, hey, I'm going to look into that. Right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's showing that you're becoming active. That is a mover and shaker. That is a proper camera character because what's going to happen is if you're spoken of well and you achieve something and bring it back, I didn't say solve the problem. You worked on it and contributed right. to solving the problem. You will get acknowledged and people will know you to be a force right. that is of use. And, and the books open up. The second type is a person that comes in and cannot put ego aside. Right. They cannot. You're here. I need to be blah, blah, blah. Knight of hospitality. Who's your whip? Great. I'm going to go there and talk to everybody I want to. I know so much. I'm awesome. What you're doing is telling everybody you're a liability. Right? You're here to upset the status quo. You can't swim with the sharks. You have no idea how much trouble you're getting into with your mouth. You have no idea how many doors you're closing, bridges you're burning. The only thing you can count on is that somewhere someone is using you as the fall guy, and it's coming soon. Right. Or someone's going to use you to do something very bad and leave you with the bag. And that's the point. That is a concept-made character that folks often do and don't even realize. The third is somebody who comes in and they're the protege with standing and backing from the city they came from. This is the hardest to role play. You were coming in under a tremendous amount of strain. Not only do you know your shit, not only do you have the respect to wait, you have the clout and the expectation that you should talk to people immediately. This is the person that comes in. I'm the child of Loden. Was in Chicago long enough. I've come here. Um, my sire groomed me to be an archon. I have the status to represent that. I walk in the door and talk to a deputy. Oh no, the sheriff come talk to me. The sheriff will escort me to my primogen and they will talk to me. And if at any given point I suck ass, <laughs> I tank my standing. Because right. it's all about reputation. That's down in the toilet. But if I could walk that line, if I hold that line, then when I get to the prince early, the prince stakes me. Because <laughs> I'm a fucking rival. Right. Right. 
I got to find that prince's sweet spot. And I better hope that when I meet him, I can read him or her well and know to be an asset waiting. Because I'm going to the prince throat bared. If I'm so good, why did I leave where I was? And that's what's going through the prince's head. Are you a diablerist? Right. Who did you kill? Did you set up? Did you fail to depose a prince from where you're from? What's your secondary agenda? I don't know. But you're in front of me now. And I am going to grill you. And you better hope what I find is someone who did fail in some regard, someone I can groom to help me succeed. Right. And someone I can regard, use in, in, my, in my endeavors. And then I can find a place for you. But if I can't, I remove a piece off the jihad board so I don't have to worry about it. Right. Those are the three ways you're going to walk into the camera. Right. And, and I think that the last thing we should talk about before we wrap up this podcast um, would be uh, the other important thing that we haven't talked about at all, coteries. This is a game, tabletop game. We'll just call it that. You did mention it with the premature. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. But we we really really didn't mention it in the in the specifics of playing a a member of the Camarilla. It's all right. The, this this whole game is based around coteries, right? Sabat has packs. The Camarilla has coteries. Your independent clans have coteries, right? And the reason why these exist is because you are in a group of individuals. Like we assume, you cannot survive on your own. Right. You cannot walk into a city on your own and hope to survive. You will simply drown. Right. And so coteries exist so that all of you bring different skills to the table so that all of you can survive the vultures that are constantly trying to eat you. Right. The vipers who are constantly trying to sting you and poison you. And together, you and the other neonates, you know, the uh, you got your your Torador Teddy and you got your uh, Vinny the Ventrue. And you got Bobby the Bruja, right? And you got... Uh, Gary the Gangrel. Right, right. And you, you're you all together because you add something, right? You're all in this together. You're, you're, you're newly embraced. You're neonates. You've all been released. But, you know, Vinny the Venture, he's kind of a dick, right? He's kind of a jerk, but he's good with money. So he's got our haven under control. He's got all that figured out. Bobby the Bruja thinks he's a lounge singer. Right. Just going around. He's like a wannabe Tordor, but he keeps beating the shit of the managers when they don't pay him enough. Right. He's, so we got that under control, right? We've got, what was his name? Gary the Gangrel? Gary the Gangrel. Gary the Gangrel. Mm, he's he's kind of a loner, but he protects us. And he's got those claws, and we don't want to get in the way of him, no and, matter how and many let's swords. say Gary the Gangrel is trying to not be in the right. wild feeding right. his inevitable decline. He's trying to get along to get along. Gary hangs out with us because he sees we're we're, we're good people. Right, we keep him on the straight and narrow because we don't understand his urges. But Nancy the Nosferatu, she keeps us in secrets, and we protect her because, well, I mean, she got the raw end of the deal in the embrace. And, she got nowhere to belong, right? So that's us, right? So maybe Vinny the Ventru the whole time set this coterie up just to be a springboard to get to his lofted title, right? Whip. So what I'm telling you, people, is very plain and simple. When you sit down at the table with your storyteller and the five of you individual players make five individual characters and you jump into play and you can't seem to accomplish anything. The reason for that is because you didn't work on your coterie. You didn't see what all of you bring to the table, where you benefit each other and where you can take advantage of others, uh, you know, others abilities, others capabilities to put in another pitfall. If you're not in a coterie, you're in someone, if you're not a coterie with the PCs, you're in a coterie with the NPCs, right? Whether you realize it or not. Someone who goes alone isn't going in alone. You're going to end up owing someone, whether that's in the pocket of the deputy who's not bringing you along into his shit, right. or you're in the pocket of whoever it is, or you're not in a pocket. You keep killing people, but now right. you're serving some other evil they didn't even know about. 
For sure. And this is the one thing that Vampire the Masquerade definitely has in common with every other game. And it's the one thing that doesn't transition that should, right? In every other game, you have a party, right? You have, let's let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons, right? You guys sit down and you go strategically, I'm the fighter, you're the cleric, that's the the mage. We We know what we bring to the table because you have to. Right. But what do you do when your strategy is all emotional? When you're not looking to fight an enemy, your enemy is survival or your enemy is final death. Or you're all capable of fighting. Right. But then what are, what are you left to focus on? Right. Where do you stand out? And that's honestly, it's all in Coterie Play. Right. And Coterie Play is not out of game. We all agree that we will never betray each other. We'll be, bullshit. <laughs> right. It's vampire, just like life. Do you sit around and tell your friends, hey, man, we'll never betray one another. Right. That'll never happen. If, no, because you never talk about it because you never think it would ever happen. Right. But when opportunity presents itself, when it comes up to promotion time at the same work you work at, shit, you're thinking one of us got to get promoted. Right. And if they're asking and offering me, well, why wouldn't I take it? My friend should be happy for me. Right. So to the coterie, however, in vampire, fuck him. He gets promoted. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Now right. I know who to look out for because that's how it is. Right. Absolutely. And, and and that brings me to the final point about the coterie. And we talked about the Primogen Council and the Primogen Council is a coterie. It is. They're not friends, but they serve a purpose. Coterie is purpose driven, right? You could be in multiple coteries. You might have a go out and party coterie. And then you have a, a building development coterie, right? But you and your your friends that are sitting at the table or you and your friends that are playing this game online with each other what is the purpose of your coterie what binds you together and that's what you need to focus on and it is not one universal blanket thing right when it says what is the purpose of your coterie it's from your perspective i'm in a coterie because of this right well he's in a coterie because of that and now that we know what we're all in a coterie for we know where not to step on right and where to assist with but one thing's for certain i can Vinny the venture does not have to like bobby the bruja Right. They they may hate each other, but but Vinny the Venture knows that Bobby the Bruja is great with a bat and he has no problem going to work on those property owners who won't give up the deed. And he does an excellent Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Alrighty. So thank you guys for listening. We hope that this was informative and not wholly and utterly confusing. And uh please pay attention for the future because we're gonna be doing individual podcasts on those positions the prince the seneschal the bishops the archbishops i will tell you to pay particular attention to the character build crunch section that's highly important all of this is important but you should everyone as a very i never toot our own horn that's a very good starting section to go through and what to think about for character insight for the camarilla the whole of it should give you an idea of what to do for the camarilla this is impossible in one podcast to go this is the camarilla (laughs) that's why we said this is the start of it and it starts With the Torador Tommy. Right. And we'll go with that. So right. the next the next stuff will actually be in-depth looks at, at Seneschals and, and everything else. Um, that's not the next one. I'm just telling you what we're going to do, what Nate's right, said. Right, right. Just reinforcing. And you'll all have the opportunity to vote what you want to hear next, what you want us to talk about. Um, it's about Camarilla. You know, we'll see what's next. And whatever you guys decide, that's what it'll be. So, um, but certainly on the docket, you're going to have the different positions. You're going to have, uh, you know, advanced role-playing. Whatever, whatever you guys want to talk about, whatever you want to learn, let us know. And if there's things, if there's crucial things that you think we missed that you're like, hey, I don't understand this, let us know. We'll throw it in the next podcast. This is the one podcast we won't give you flack for heaven. We won't give you flack anyway. You have an opinion. We just ask you to be constructive. Right. Because this is him and me going at it, and we don't want to make it entirely a dry tutorial. 
and we want to talk you through to make it relatable and enjoyable. A lot of you listen to this going to work or at work, and we want to make this not distracting. We want to make it something you can listen to and get maybe even a couple times you listen to it, and that's the point. However, if it's constructive and you're like, hey, guys, you talked about this, but can you go over virtues more in depth from the character creation perspective? Because it's different when you build a sabat to Camarilla. That's doable. Shoot us a line. Um, If you want to tell us, hey, we did a great job, we love encouragement. Please continue that. Um, If you're like, man, this utterly sucks, that's not a critique. Yeah. If you turn around and tell us, hey, man, what you said is great, but what what I think you missed is this, that, and the other thing. (laughs) Can you please include that uh, in some form or correct? That's absolutely acceptable. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to a very special edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Please visit us at utilitymuffinlabs.com for more Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. Adequate.